0: Hey, it's Scott, and before we jump into this episode, I just wanted to let you know that in our very next episode, that is episode 255, we're going to be having a panel discussion. It's going to be very special as it celebrates the end of 2022. But here's the thing. We are going to be recording that show from a live video, and you can participate in the live video. That is, you can watch it, Or you can comment, maybe we'll even figure out how to bring people in on video as well, if you're up for it, and ask questions of our panelists or make comments of your own. But the only way to do that is if you are a member of our Patreon community. That's patreon.com slash Ihearofsherlock. All of our Patreon supporters at every level will have access to that live recording and then all of our listeners on the 30th of the, of the month will have access to the audio recording of that panel. So either way, you're going to get a chance to hear what goes on on that panel. The bonus is if you are a Patreon supporter, you get to participate with us live. It'll be the last week of December. So check that out on Patreon, and we hope to see you there. Support for I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere comes from MX Publishing, with the largest catalog of new Sherlock Holmes books in the world. New novels, biographies, graphic novels, and short story collections about Sherlock Holmes. Find them at mxpublishing.com. And by the
1: Wessex Press, the premier publisher of books about Sherlock Holmes and his world. Find them online at wessexpress.com.
0: And from listeners like you, who support us through Patreon. Bonus material, thank-you gifts, and more await at patreon.com slash IHearOfSherlock. I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, Episode 254, The Life and Times of Sherlock Holmes. I hear of Sherlock everywhere since you became a astronomer. In a world where it's always 1895, comes I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, a podcast for devotees of Mr. Sherlock Holmes, the world's first unofficial consulting detective. I've heard of you before.
2: You're Holmes the meddler. Holmes the busybody. Holmes the Scotland Yard jack in office. <laughs>
0: the game's afoot as we discuss goings on in the world of Sherlock Holmes enthusiasts, the bigger street irregulars, and popular culture related to the great detective. As we go to press, sensational developments have been reported. So join your hosts, Scott Monty and Burke Walder, as they talk about what's new in the world of Sherlock Holmes.
1: You couldn't have come at a better time!
0: Oh, and what a time it is! Hello, and welcome to "I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere," the first podcast for Sherlock Holmes devotees, where it's always 1895. I'm Scott Monty. I'm Bert Wolder. And Bert, how is your life? How are your times?
1: Oh, <laughs> my life. And my times are absolutely wonderful. You know, but the the Post and the Daily News, on the other hand, are not very satisfactory.
0: Well, please, uh, our time-life operators are standing by. We have a football (laughs) phone for you uh, if you renew your subscription today. Yes, Great.
1: I'll tell Henry Luce that we've moved another football
0: <laughs> phone. <laughs> oh, my goodness. He must, he must have been rolling over in his grave when they were running those commercials. Uh, well, um. <laughs> you know, here, here's an interesting thing. We talked about this a little bit on, I think it was season four of Trifles, when we did a series of uh, monthly exposes on sports. And Sherlock Holmes, and it was actually um, inspired by an article written for Sports Illustrated, which is part of the Mm. Time Life Network, by William S. Baring Gould, Mm. longtime Sherlockian. Yeah, one of the uh, the greats in Sherlockian research over the years. Uh, He had written a, a nice piece for Sports Illustrated, and of course, he had worked for Time Life for. Many years, so it was a nice uh, tie-in there.
1: Yeah, oh, and there were many such tie-ins, you know, between irregulars and literary, uh, you know, magazines and and print and so on. Of course, with Christopher Morley and Vince Starrett, and newspapermen. So
0: yeah. Lots and lots, yeah. And we actually did, uh, if I recall correctly, we did an episode about William S. Bearing Gold for one of the Christmas annuals. Uh, that would have been back in season 14. Uh, we interviewed Julie McCurris and Tim Johnson uh, in episode 185. So uh, something worth looking into if you want to learn a little bit more about the life and times of William S. Bering Gould. Well, uh, we are not here to talk about William S. Berengul. We do want to get to our guest, Lisa Sherwood Fabre, in just a moment. But we wanted to remind you that if you would like the show notes for this episode, including these links that we just talked about, they are available at iHose.co slash iHose254, all lowercase, iHose.co slash iHose254. That'll take you directly to our website ihearofsherlock.com, specifically to the show notes for this episode. You can also just open up whatever device you're on, whether it's your phone or if you're on YouTube. Just check out the uh, links below in the episode as it's playing, and uh, it'll take you to where you need to get, including to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash ihearofsherlock. As we mentioned in the intro there, we do have a thriving community there we do offer exclusive content exclusive merchandise um, all kinds of things for our patreon supporters because we appreciate your commitment to the show as much as you appreciate our commitment to the show Uh, you know we've been doing this now for 16 seasons wrapping it up here in the next episode uh, and we'll be back in 2023 with season 17 So uh, we appreciate your support in helping our show keep going. Check that out and uh, let us know if you have any feedback. Lisa Sherwood Fabre knew she was destined to write when she got an A-plus in the second grade for her story about Dick, Jane, and Sally's ruined picnic. After obtaining her Ph.D. from Indiana University, she joined the federal government and had an opportunity to work, and live internationally for more than 15 years. After returning to the States, she seriously pursued her writing career. She's currently a member of the Crew of the Bark Lone Star and the Studious Scarlet Society Scions, and contributes regularly to Sherlockian newsletters across the world. Her fiction series, The Early Case Files of Sherlock Holmes, follows a young Sherlock as he develops into the adept detective that the world knows. And her latest series, The Life and Times of Sherlock Holmes, is a four volume work so far that chronicles some of the minutiae and arcana in the Sherlock Holmes stories. You can learn about her other books, upcoming releases, and other events by joining her newsletter. Lisa Sherwood Fabre, welcome to I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere.
2: Thank you. I really enjoy your podcast and I'm looking forward to sharing about my books. And I really appreciate your inviting me on the podcast.
0: Well, it's amazing that you're a listener and still willing to come on the show. um so why don't we begin as you know uh like like we prefer to begin with all of our guests or first-time guests at least and ask you about how you first encountered Sherlock Holmes
2: you know um I've asked that a lot and I'm trying to remember when I didn't know about Sherlock Holmes and I think the earliest memories that I can that I truly have about Sherlock Holmes are the old Basil Rathbone, Nigel Bruce um, black and white movies. Yeah, because they were they would come on as uh, were shown in a, a local TV show called Dialing for Dollars, and I would watch that religiously because I was always hoping they'd call us. They never did. But I always tried to know the count and the amount. And I think back now, and the amounts were things like $60, $70, which today most people would say, what? You know, that's not worth it. (laughs) But when you're you're uh, in elementary school or junior high, and $60, $70 in the 1960s sounded like a lot more than it does now. Sure. And I also can remember... You know, cartoon characters with um, uh, the deerstalker and the magnifying glass. Uh, and I knew that that was a detective. So those are probably my earliest memories of Sherlock Holmes.
1: <laughs> and yeah. when when did you first read a Sherlock Holmes story?
2: You know, That's another thing that I can't tell you exactly (laughs) when, you know, there are other people that said, say, I found um, the Hound of the Baskervilles in my parents' library or something like that. And I don't remember that, but what I do remember is when I was in high school having, um, I was in a, I think it was, it was either British literature or um, world literature and we read the captain of the uh, of the Pole Star, and hmm. even though it wasn't a Sherlock Holmes tale, it was my first real introduction into Arthur Conan Doyle that I can remember, and so that's probably my earliest ACD recollection. Hmm.
0: Well, that's fascinating. We we don't often hear about the captain of the Pole Star around these parts. <laughs>
1: It's amazing. You know, we've talked to so many people, and some say, gee, you know, the first time I encountered Sherlock Holmes was in a classic illustrated um, comic book, or um." sometimes people say, you know, actually it was a cartoon, but you went right to the captain of the Polestar and encountered Conan Doyle. I don't know that we've ever uh, talked to anybody who, who started with something Conan Doyle wrote that wasn't about Sherlock Holmes. Um, when did you? When did you actually go through the canon and read all the sixty stories?
2: Um, I'm almost embarrassed to admit this, but I'll tell you the truth.
1: <laughs> tell us the I truth. An, you can trust I us. Had, we won't um, tell anybody.
2: <laughs> just all your listeners.
1: Both of no. them. Yes. <laughs> no. All two of them? No. We've sw- we've sworn them to secrecy.
2: Oh, good. Um, I had an idea one day, I'm a writer and I was on a treadmill and I always get my best ideas on the treadmill because you kind of just let your mind wander while you're chugging along. And I had this idea one day, how did Sherlock Holmes become Sherlock Holmes? I mean, I'd seen a lot of the media things. And like I said, I've read some of the other works, but I really hadn't delved into Sherlock Holmes or the canon. And I thought, well, this would make an idea for a good series if there's not a lot written about it. And so that was when I started uh, researching Sherlock Holmes, reading the canon, and finding out that there really wasn't much about his childhood. We know that his ancestors were country squires. We know that he had a brother named Mycroft, Uh, There's uh, something about his father being named Seeger. There was the connection to the Vernays in France. And so that was about it. And I said, well, this gives me a whole lot of space to work with. And so (laughs) I started working on um, a book that starts off when he's 13. And that's The Adventure of the Murdered Midwife. His mother's accused of murdering the village midwife, and he has to solve the mystery or the or catch the actual killer. And but doing this book required an awful lot of research into Victorian England. Like, okay, so his father, his ancestors were country squires. What does that mean? So you had to find out what... I had to research into country squires, and I found out that one of the things is that country squires had to hold um, a position as a magistrate. So that meant that if his father was a country squire, his father was a magistrate, which gives him an introduction to the law and things like that. And so I did all this research, and I came and I started thinking... Um, You know, other people might be interested in this. And I knew about the Scions. I knew about the Baker Street Irregulars. Um, And so I uh, started writing to Scions and saying, would you like some little articles about um, Victorian England and Sherlock Holmes that you could include in your newsletter? Because a lot of, I can tell you as somebody who has been involved in uh, preparing newsletters or be working in organizations that they need content. Everybody's always looking for content, and so if I pr- offered a an article, then they would have some content. And so I started writing these articles. The first one was "What Is a Country Squire," and sending them out to different uh, scions. I'm still. I still am published in about 13, 14, 15. I, I, they vary. Um, and uh, across the world. I mean, I'm in Australia um, um, and also in Dallas, Texas, where I am. And that was how I met my local scion. And then after writing several of these, I thought, you know, other people might be interested who aren't part of... Sherlock Holmes scions and so I started putting them out as books as well
0: well that's fascinating I mean so I, we I, I want to make sure our listeners are clear on this we're talking about two divergent series of books you're uh, you were doing the research on behalf of your series that's uh, called the early case files of Sherlock Holmes and that includes uh, the adventure of the murdered midwife the Adventure of the Murdered Gypsy, The Adventure of the Deceased Scholar, and The Adventure of the Purloined Portrait. I think that's all of them so far, right? Yeah. Okay. And that, in turn, led to uh, what you call the life and times of Sherlock Holmes. Uh, I, I think it's just, it's, it's a, a really interesting evolution because you're basically bringing uh, readers along with you on your journey of discovery,
2: Yeah, in some ways, uh, I'll be honest, Uh, the last uh, novel that's come out in the series, uh, The Adventure of the Purlorn Portrait, takes place in France. And there's not a lot mentioned (laughs) about France or Paris um, in that book, in the canon. So um, there was a lot of research that I did that, is never going to appear in one of the essays simply because there's just not a connection really to the canon um,
0: yeah well i but you uh, you actually made uh, sherlock's french connection in the very first volume of yes, uh yes. Of the, well t- tell us about uh, give us an example because all of these are mini essays in the life and times of sherlock holmes but give us an example here with sherlock's french connection in volume one
2: um, well, it's really fascinating to read about the Vernays. They were, it was a whole family. There was a a, fa- a, a grandfather, a father, and, and, and then the last one was um, Horace, who was, um, and he was actually born in the Louvre. Um, I've, some of my research included that the reason he was born in the Louvre was because that was actually uh, artist's residence at that time. it was it was originally built as a fort, turned into a palace, turned into a um, residence for artists, and then finally turned into a museum during the French re- after the French Revolution. So and then they kicked out the artists that were living there. But it was so, you had a whole three generations of artists and each one, uh, they were very brilliant, but Horace in particular was considered um, somebody with an incredible memory. He could, he, the one example was that he had a, um, he saw a friend one day and he said, "Uh, I saw you with a young lady the other day and she was very beautiful and he's sketched her out right there from memory, just uh, just right on the spot. And I think that shows a, a kind of a mind that, you know, Sherlock could have easily have, have um, inherited when he talks about art in the blood.
0: And that's fascinating. I, I never knew that uh, Verne was literally born in the Louvre.
2: Mm-hmm. Hmm and um, he survived the French Revolution uh, there was a his father one time took him out uh, the palaces were like if you look at the Louvre it's right on the river It like I said it was originally a fortress and it wasn't far from one of the major palaces and the father I'm not quite sure what the father was thinking at the time but he took him out Uh, while they were storming the palace, and they almost got shot. One of the relatives, one of the aunts, actually was guillotined because she was married to a nobleman. He escaped. She got guillotined.
1: Well, it's wonderful because you're, you know, as Scott said, you're echoing, the kinds of questions and interests the readers would have when they come across these things in the Sherlock Holmes stories. And it's fascinating because you looked upon the world of Sherlock Holmes, you know, since you're a person, you know, in search of narratives in a way, you looked on the adventures of Sherlock Holmes and said, wow, here's this whole Victorian world. And so, you've gone into it and produced these really interesting essays, and they're all very short, so it's possible for your readers to, you know, dip in and consume a few. And the range of subjects you cover, you know, is extraordinary. You covered, for example, I think in the first volume of your essays, one of my favorite subjects, which is the difference between, only because I've never understood it, the difference between abductive and deductive reasoning. And I think your explanation is probably, you know, one of the most graspable. But, um, uh, you know, you must be relentlessly curious about about these things. If, what's, the most, what's the most surprising thing you think you've learned as you've, as you've dug around on all of these things? Is there a particular topic that you remember? I mean, we've just talked about Vernet being born in the Louvre, but is there something else that you recall as being, you know, personally interesting?
2: Yeah, I'm, of course, maybe it's because I'm a feminist at heart, but I've found all of the information where I've looked into aspects of women's lives that um, are reflected in the canon um, are really kind of hit home to me, uh, such as in The Solitary Cyclist, the role of bicycles in the liberation of women at the time was fascinating um this was the first time women could go on their own because most of the time a chaperone couldn't follow them and it gave and they could go further than they had ever been before because um they weren't restricted by how far they could walk uh, being followed by a chaperone and it allowed them to have uh, somewhat secret rendezvous with men. Um, and so the you know the whole daisy daisy, um, I'm half crazy over the love of you and the the whole thing about the bicycle built for two. I mean, that was that was a courting ritual uh, for women. Uh, they and I, the role that governesses played. And uh, the the number of governesses that were out there, these were women that, for whatever reason, hadn't found a man and needed some sort of income. Uh, Typist was another one. The role that typing, uh, the typewriter played in providing uh, employment and income to middle class women was fascinating as well. There was in, uh, so much of this appears in the canon. Um, he was not above creating what they called, oh darn, I'm missing the, I'm forgetting the word. There was a, um, a special word that they talked, they used for women, uh, that were a little more modern. Um, but I'm forgetting the word at the moment, <laughs> but yeah. Maybe you can edit that part out. <laughs> we'll, we, yeah, we can plug it in later if it comes to any of us. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's fascinating. What? What other? Um, you know, you, you've you've mined so much out of this, and the, the essays, as I say, are really, you know, fascinating and interesting. Are there other narrative worlds that you've explored like this? Or do you? do you read for pleasure? Are there things that that you personally read, you know, when you're not doing this that that have meant a lot to you? Uh,
2: Well, I'm I'm pretty eclectic in my reading, uh, although I probably tend more to mysteries and thrillers. Um, The one that really had an impact on me recently, I had been at BoucherCon, and I heard Mm. Um, I want to say his last name is Cohen. It's essay, the the book is he was um, talking about his latest book Razorblade Tears. And that was one of the most gripping books I had ever read. And it wasn't that the mis- there was there was a it was a it's a thriller. It's it's more about the emotions that are involved. Uh, it's a man, a, a white man and a black man, whose sons were gay, and were married and were killed, and they join forces. One's a redneck, I mean, you know, lives in a trailer and everything else, and the and they join forces to find the killers of their son, and the. Understanding that the two men came to develop between each other uh, is, was fascinating. Not to mention coming to uh, finally accepting their son's life cho- choices, which was something that they hadn't been able to do in, in, when they were alive.
1: That's fascinating. I just looked it up, and it's a crime novel by S.A. Cosby.
2: Oh, Cosby,
1: I Publish. knew it started with a C. yeah and yeah. was number ten was number ten on the New York Times bestseller list about two grieving fathers brought together so that that had a powerful impact on you, so you yeah. read, have you read have you read spy fiction and things like that?
2: Oh yeah, uh, gosh uh, Steve Barry mm. uh, is Steve Barry gave me my first cover quote, and so I will buy all of his books for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's impressive. I was really surprised because I had written, you know, you hear this thing about getting cover quotes, and I was young. It was my first novel that was coming out, and uh, he said he's, I had heard him at a, a a writer's conference, and he said, "I always answer my emails." So I sent him an email saying, "You know, I have a book coming out. I really appreciate a cover quote," and. He wrote back, and he says, I'm really on a deadline. I really can't do it right now. And I said, well, you know, it was a shot in the dark. It's okay if he didn't. He said, no, I'm not devastated or anything. And then the next morning, I opened up an email from him, and he said, you know, I stayed up last night. I read your book. Here's your quote. And- <laughs> wow. <laughs> and so, you know, if he had been in the room, I would have probably offered, you know, I would have probably kissed him, I would, or offered to carry his child. I don't know something, but <laughs>
0: or at least buy him a drink. I mean, come on, yeah. um, that's well. well you at, could that's, carry
1: you could carry his child
0: for a little while, but you have to put it down. <laughs> they anyway. get heavy. Yeah. I know. Uh, yeah. Well, that's. I mean, yeah. what what great evidence of a page turner? We're going to pause here a moment for a quick word from our sponsor. We're moving into the holiday season. And what better time to plan for the gifts that you wish to give or the gifts you wish to put on your wish list? There's plenty to choose from at MX Publishing. Since we talked to you last, there are scores of new books available on the site. Things like The Valley of Fear, Black Eyed Theater Script by Nick Lane. The Rediscovered Annals of Sherlock Holmes by Terry Gollage. The English Garden Mystery, that's volume 11 of the McCabe and Cody series by our friend Dan Andriaco. And coming up in the weeks ahead, things like Sherlock Holmes and the Case of the Fateful Arrow by Daniel Victor. The Baker Street Archive by Mark Mower. The Hound of the Baskervilles, a Sherlock Holmes reader by Nick Rickey. And dozens and dozens more get on over to mxpublishing.com to check out what books you can put on your holiday shopping list today just so we don't uh leave this half touched here you're you're talking about your first novel saving hope is that right yes um tell us a little bit about your background with respect to Russia that actually led to you writing this book?
2: Oh, okay. Um, My husband is a consultant, or was a consultant, an international consultant with PricewaterhouseCoopers. And the U.S. government was involved in helping uh, Russia transition from a communist state to a free market democracy. and. He was sent over to reopen the pricewaterhouse cooper's offices that had been there prior to the revolution and he and so his his uh first assignment or first uh, their first project was helping with the privatization of the russian in um uh, economy um the the russia provided all their citizens with a voucher worth ten thousand rubles to purchase stock in um, a one of the privatized one of the companies that were going to be privatized and he was there to uh, his first assignment was working on the systems that were going to receive all of the um, the bids with the using the vouchers and things and pick the winners that were going to receive stock in one of the new newly privatized companies. And so that was going to be a while. <laughs> that wasn't gonna, you can't do something like that overnight. And we, so he was going to be over there. Uh, we didn't know how long. We originally, we said two years. And so I joined him along with our children and I had been working for the federal government. I worked at um, the Census Bureau, the Department of Health and Human Services, and I was in Mexico at the time, uh, working for the Agency for International Development. And so when he was sent over there, I applied for a position with the Agency for International Development while I was over there. I worked first on um, a, a project that was involved with providing Continuing developing continuing education programs to try to bring the Soviet systems to international standards by providing continuing education to professionals. And then I was involved with the family planning program. That was the last three years. The first two years was... Um, continuing education, and the last three was um, uh, the family planning. Just to complete my husband's story, when he went over there, he was it was him and I think one other person. By the time he left, they had opened up the, the consulting practice for Coopers, and he had over 500 employees in the consulting practice.
0: Sounds like a success.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was it was an exciting time to be in Russia. We were there from 94 to 99. And hmm. it was... Uh, and you were
1: in Moscow? Were you yes. in Moscow?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, hmm. yeah. And I did some traveling because we set up family planning programs across the country, uh, demonstration projects. So we went as far as Vladivostok, which was in the Russian Far East, uh, just you know across the, across a, a across the water from japan um and i'm trying to think where else it's been a while yekaterinburg which is uh in siberia for example yeah
0: and your your novel uh takes place in siberia yeah um, we're we're talking about uh, an unemployed microbiologist who is uh, struggling to save his daughter's life, and uh, her daughter's life, her, her daughter's life, and and she's drawn into uh, Russia's underworld as, as a uh, result, the uh, FSB, formerly the KGB, um, the Iranians, arms dealing, etc. Um, is this any of the stuff that you saw while you were over there? <laughs> yeah,
2: this- and actually, um, th- it was based some of the the Iranian uh, recruitment of. Scientist, Russian scientist, uh, was actually documented by um, the last name is Prescott. I can't remember his. That he one's a journalist. There are two brothers. One's a journalist. One's a thriller writer. <laughs> and the journalist had an article um, about the. Uh, Iranian recruitment of Russian scientists and that was the base the seed for this story I thought what would cause a Russian scientist to agree to work on bioweapons for the Iranians or the um, nuclear weapons for the Iranians and so I gave um, this microbiologist a really good reason which was she had a very sick daughter who needed uh, an operation in the west
0: it's amazing. Ripped, ripped from the headlines almost. There you it's, go. Yeah. You know, wonderful inspiration. Uh, well, that's fascinating. Well, we should probably turn our, our focus back to Sherlock Holmes because that's what this podcast is all about. Um, you know, one of the reasons, Lisa, that I, I thought we ought to talk to you is because these volumes of The Life and Times of Sherlock Holmes, and there are four now, the latest uh, has just been released, um, it's reminiscent of our other show, Trifles, where we talk about little things we come across in the canon, and it's interesting because we've had the sources like uh, Jack Tracy's The Encyclopedia Sherlockiana for a while, but they're very brief. They they only give you know dictionary level uh, definitions of you know what a oh, what a what a handsome cab is or. Uh, you know, what some of the monetary features are. And, um, and yet yours go into um, even greater depth in, as we said, short-form essays. Where did, you, where did you get your information from as you were researching these individual uh, essays? Where, where, where were, was your inspiration?
2: Um, I have a quite a number of research sources, I have some references that I keep. Um there's one that's called The Encyclopedia of Victorian England or something like that or The Victorian England Encyclopedia. And those are uh, that's useful. Um and I have uh, several BSI publications, you know, the one on the the law and and I, I can't even name all of them. Mostly, I, I start off with a Google search. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a great place to begin.
2: And um, usually find a lot of, of, of very current articles about some aspect of it. It may not be everything, um, but it's some aspect that I can use as a, uh, somewhere. I just find all these little p- bits and pieces and trivia and tidbits and trifles, I guess you could call them as well. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I mean, it's it's amazing how out there, somebody on the Internet has an interest in something. And, you know, years ago, when, when the Internet was just a fledgling operation, it was difficult to connect with these people or to find certain nuggets like this. I mean, you really had to uh, roll up your sleeves and spend time among some dusty tomes in a research library. And uh, now you've got the world at your fingertips and you're doing a, just a bang-up job of not only curating these resources, but then bringing them to life with context for people who want to know more about the world of Sherlock Holmes.
2: Yeah, it's, it's really been fun to research them uh, and try to find these little bits and, and, and to weave them together. That's the other thing is there's times when I find something that's really interesting and then I go, well, yeah, but that really doesn't fit into this whole thing and I have to toss it, which really makes me sad because <laughs> I <laughs> I dug it up someplace and I really want to show it off.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, that, that leads to kind of the natural next question. I mean, you've got four discrete volumes here, but how how did you know with each one where to stop? And where to pick up with the next one? And is is there another volume coming?
2: Okay, so you're talking about the volumes and not the particular essay. Okay? Yeah. Because uh, the goal for my essays, I started off with 300 to 400 words, and now I I think those are too short, and I, I look more at between the 600 and 800 word um, length. Hmm. but um in terms of the volumes after 2 years i thought you know this is this is 2 years worth this is 24 that's a good number and i'll just keep on <laughs> and so every 2 years i put them out um and they have 24 the fourth the fourth volume has one extra one in it because i can't count <laughs> and <laughs> And it, it wound up with an extra one. And I said, oh, well, I could take it out. But no, nah, it's already there. I'll leave it. That's um, like a that's
0: like a baker's two dozen. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, so as as you're assembling these, I, I would imagine this is part of your, your research as you uh, work on your novels. Um, do, do you find yourself running out of steam at all? Or do you feel like it's uh, kind of a bottomless well?
2: Well, I'll be honest. It's getting harder and harder to find a topic. Mm. Uh, You know, at the beginning it was real easy, Uh, and and now I have to do a little bit more searching in the canon for something that's um, not something that's really obvious. Um, But I've I've always managed, and sometimes I get suggestions from somebody. The one about the gasogene actually came from um Steve Mason and the one that is bittersweet for me was the one on fencing um and I'm I'm really bad with names so you'll just have to excuse me that I can't remember the gentleman's name but he was in Australia and he said I had been on the Australian Olympic fencing team and you really should do one on fencing and i I had done the research and I received notice before I was able to send it out that he had passed away. Oh. Um, and that was bittersweet to me. But so, you know, if you have any suggestions, you, if there's something that you really think we oughta, I ought to delve into a little bit more, let me know. Uh, I'm sure I would be glad to take it up.
0: Yeah, well, that's that's a great suggestion. I mean, for our listeners who are so helpful to us in so many ways, um, I'm sure they can act as uh, almost as the Baker Street Irregulars did for Holmes for you. Uh, so we will uh, we'll make sure to have your website uh, listed in our show notes. Of course, people can also uh, always get in touch with us, and we can pass it along as well. We'd be happy to be part of that uh, that conveyor belt of ideas, as it were.
2: Well, I'd appreciate it,
0: so what's next for you, Lisa? uh
2: well, I'm continuing to write these essays um this month i I did one on hats that just came out. Uh, I sent that out uh, for December, I'm looking at mathematics. I had done one on chemistry at homes and chemistry, and um I was thinking. And I'm I haven't done a lot of the research yet, but I already came up with um, some nuggets about um, Victorian England and mathematics. That there was a uh, shift in how mathematics was viewed, and so that and Holmes reflects that in some of his work. Um, And I am almost afraid to say this because it's going so slowly, but I wanted. i'm shifting Uh, i'd like to try a new series uh that you might you could either call it a holmes and watson or you could call it a risoli and isles where you have a detective and a doctor in uh they're both women in um turn of the century san francisco and i have a mystery um and i'm working through how to solve it i'm a what they call a pantser that is i write by the seat of my pants <laughs> and uh so i have no idea where the story's going or anything until i get it done and uh so i just start writing and we'll have to see if i can get it, it as i'm writing and i'm going this is so such a convoluted story there's so many threads here can i tie it all up and we'll see if i can do it or not uh i do have in mind uh case five for sherlock uh my young sherlock in um i the tentative title and i'm still playing with it so don't you know hold me to it uh is the adventure of the young russian woman or possibly an old russian woman again i'm Writing by the seat of my pants. I don't know how old the. I don't know about the Russian. Much about the Russian woman, other than I'm planning it for it to be a kidnapping of a Russian, the son of a Russian diplomat who is attending Eton with Sherlock. Wow. But, but again, so, don't hold me to it. I, I don't know anything <laughs> until it's done. <laughs>
0: Well, we'll hold you to a fifth volume in both the case files and uh, the life and times of Sherlock Holmes. They sound promising, at least. So, well, uh, where can people find out more about you and get copies of your books, Lisa?
2: Well, the books are are available from all major booksellers. Um, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, Kobo iBooks. You can get the paperbacks are available through um, Amazon and Barnes and Noble. I book, uh, iBooks or Apple and Kobo are only eBooks, but the others carry both eBooks and, and paperbacks. Uh, and the easiest way to find me is on my website, which is www.lisaSherwoodFabre.com. No hyphens, no spaces. All and um, I believe you said you would put that up on your uh, on the podcast. We sure will. We'll, we'll have
0: links to all of these uh, in our show notes, so people can find it easily.
2: I'm looking forward to hearing more. Excellent.
0: Well, Lisa, thank you so much for joining us here on I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere.
2: Yes, I do. <laughs> thank you. <laughs>
1: It's interesting to talk to Lisa about topics, too, and to see that, see that she feels she may be approaching the end. You know, she's produced so many really interesting essays. You just look at the table of contents here, um, 800 words on tobacco, on Christmas and Sherlock Holmes, on beekeeping in Vic- Victorian age, London on 11 shillings a day. And it's just enormous, enormous collection. In a way, you know, it's uh, it could give fodder to a whole new kind of annotated canon.
0: Well, that, that's a really interesting insight. I hadn't even thought of it that way. But, yeah, I mean, especially when you think about the electronic uh, copies, you know, if this is bundled up with uh, the complete Sherlock Holmes, and uh, let's not forget, uh, we've got all of the, Stories that are going to be in the public domain next year. It might make for an interesting project for someone who is really committed to uh, this level of information. And, you know, I completely understand the um, uh, hesitance or reticence about continuing on. I mean, we've had these conversations, you and I have, behind the scenes at uh, Trifles. You know, we are now at over 300 episodes on Trifles, and we ask ourselves, can we keep going another year? Do, do we think we have it in us? And lo and behold, we find angles, we find ways, and it, it comes together. I, and, and I'm looking at Lisa's uh, works here uh, thinking they actually could be an inspiration for us. They could be a funnel for some of the things that we haven't yet talked about on trifles. Mm.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Well, you know, I'm particularly obsessed by the collar of Vincent Spaulding's collar button. And I'm hoping we can get to that. (laughs) I don't think even Sherlock Holmes noted that.
0: He did Uh -uh. not observe that. Crazy, I know. But, um, you know, even going between volumes here, in, in volume one, I think it is, we see London on 11 shillings a day which I believe was Dr. Watson's pension. And I think we had a conversation about that at one point on trifles. But then we go over to volume two and we find uh, an essay called London on four pence a night. So (laughs) you've got eight shillings a day and four pence a night and, and four pence a night I think is to um, uh, maybe uh, Shinwell Johnson's uh, nightclub routines um, and bedding and uh, uh lodging houses, et cetera. so I mean, you pair these two things up, and it makes for a more well-rounded uh kind of discussion on getting by while living in London.
1: Yes, yes, of course, and it also relates to tailoring, you know, when you bought a suit in those days, you got an extra pair of pants.
0: Wow,, uh, you know what, Bert, you, you caught me so <laughs> off guard. I uh I I wasn't even ready with the.
2: Uh... <laughs> I, know.
0: I defeated
1: I defeated the
0: wawa. I, I know, feel right? pretty good about that. <laughs> yeah. That won't happen again. Let me assure you. Oh drat! Well. Drat.
1: The first Sherlock Holmes parody was probably written in 1896, The Field Bazaar, by Arthur Conan Doyle himself. He knew laughing was good for you. That's why the Wessex Press continues the tradition with The True Adventures of Sherlock Holmes by Terence Faherty. It's a rare collection of Watson's early first drafts of the cases of Sherlock Holmes that will show you the truth behind the engineer's thumb and the strange insanity of General Wax Button. Learn the actual facts behind the adventure of the notorious parasol chaser and astonish your friends when you tell them the man with the twisted lip actually struck it big as a part-time bustle fitter. Seven of these great stories have been published in Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine and four appear here for the very first time in this very first collection. Now is the perfect time for a comfortable chair and a long laugh. Get the true adventures of Sherlock Holmes at westexpress.com today.
0: All right, everyone knows what that means. That's right, it's everyone's favorite Sherlockian quiz show. It's Canonical Couplets where we give you two lines of poetry, and you have to tell us what the heck it is that we're talking about. And if you remember, the last time we were here, we gave you this clue. An eerie case quite far from home, with evil unrelieved, begins with the most surprising telegram Watson had received. Bert do you, do you know which Sherlock Holmes story we're talking about here?
1: Yes, of course. It's that time of year. It's the Christmas story about the theft of a great gem and a handyman who froze to death. That's the case Watson called the Blue Carpenter.
0: Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Boy, oh boy. <laughs> I don't know how you do it, Bert, uh, nor do I wish to know. <laughs> so how's that? That's <laughs> uh, uh, pretty realistic. Yeah. No, we, we were looking. Well, I'm going to have uh, our, our pal Eric Deckers help us out here, as he's always yeah. very helpful here. He says, I've got it. It's the story that inspired the band who wrote Nights in White Satin who were so moved by Dr. Leon Sterndale's deadly command to Mortimer Tregennis. Breathe deep in the gathering gloom, watch lights fade from every room. It's the adventure of the sooty clues. Wait, that seems a little far-fetched, even for me. It's actually the adventure of the devil's foot. Well, that is correct, Eric. We were looking for uh, the devil's foot, um, and we had a number of people. Well, there were a few people who were actually thrown off by uh, this particular couplet bird, so good job with that. Um, However, uh, I am pleased to say that we did have a number of correct answers. So uh, let's see who... Will be winning our big prize as we bring the prize wheel out and give it a big spin. And it's going around and stopping on number 41. 41, and that corresponds to uh, Olivia Kirkendall. Congratulations, Olivia. We will be getting you a copy of, what, what is it? What was it? Oh, yes, our science, My Scientific Methods. That's lovely, from, uh, from the BSI Press. Good. Well, that means it's time for this episode's Canonical Couplet, and that is a copy of Lisa Sherwood-Fabre's latest in The Life and Times of Sherlock Holmes. Here we go. Watson now has surgeon's eyes when he's so inclined. It only takes his glance to see a weakness in the spine. If you know the answer to this episode's canonical couplet, put it in an email address to comment at with canonical couplet in the subject line. If you are among all of the correct responses and we choose you at random, you'll win. Good luck. Well, ha, ha! here it is. Here it is. We're, we're, we've got one episode left this year. Boy, oh boy. Any, any clue? Yeah. You, you, you know what we're going to be doing next?
1: I, I'm not at liberty to say. I signed
0: a <laughs> non disclosure agreement. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Me too. And I don't want to be fired by Elon Musk for uh, breaking it. So, um, Yeah, you know what? I had a a well-intentioned correspondent ask us on Twitter if we still planned to stay on the platform. I know there's been um, a a sound and fury signifying nothing on uh, Twitter. A lot of people are uh, kind of bent out of shape about the new ownership. Some people are applauding it. Um, Some people are fleeing. Others are coming back. I don't know. Well, you know, all I know is I hear of Sherlock everywhere, has a presence there. We've got a presence on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. There's only so many places we can be. So um we're gonna we're gonna remain there for now, as uh impassive as we typically are, <laughs> and um and we'll see what the future holds. Mm. Because well, by God, fair. the world needs another social network. <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly right. Yeah. So, in the meantime, we will be twittering away here on the airwaves, where I remain, well, I guess the ever-twittering Scott Monty.
1: <laughs> and I have 120 characters, but I can't put them in the right order. I'm in Burt Wolder.
0: You're quite a character yourself, I know. <laughs> And together we say, the the games
1: of a foot.
0: The games of foot. You know, I am afraid that in the pleasure of this conversation, I am
2: neglecting business of importance
0: which awaits me elsewhere. Thank you for listening. Please be sure to join us again for the next episode of I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, the first podcast dedicated to Sherlock Holmes. Goodbye, and good luck, and believe me to be, my dear fellow, very sincerely yours, Sherlock Holmes.